The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. How are we going to kick this podcast off? I haven't worked out yet. Probably what I just said there is probably the kickoff. Hello, welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Dale Driver, and today... I have with me Jesse Gomez. Hello. <laughs> you alright? Yeah, you just sound so excited, Dale. It's really jazzed It's a up. podcast. You've got, to turn, you've got to turn the volume up, haven't you? Obviously, our audience might not know, but I don't talk like this in normal life. He I'm absolutely quite, does. I'm, I'm quite <laughs> mellow. But yes, jazz up. Um, also, we also have with us today Matt Persler. Hello. We're here to play it fast and loose. We don't yeah, even we... know what we're going to speak about today. <laughs> and we, we, have, we have our running order, but we just said we're, we are very ill-prepared. So um, We are professionals. Yeah, we, we we have some stuff though today. We've got we've got Final Fantasy sixteen, we've got Sons of the Forest, we've got Mandalorian, and also at the end, Matt uh, finally got another person who's seen Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, that which is Matt Perzo. So at the end we're gonna have a little spoiler chat. We'll give you plenty of warning if you haven't watched it and you don't want to be spoiled, that'll be right at the end. But I will pre warn you, we both didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward if you to loved hearing it, that. Don't listen to it. Uh, but first, uh, Matt, you got to play Final Fantasy 16. I did, yeah. This was exciting. Mm. I, um, You know, the trailers of obviously... We had the first trailers ages ago, which kind of promised yeah. this idea of a, a much darker, more traditional medieval fantasy version of Final Fantasy. And so I've been waiting to get my hands on this for a while. But yeah, we got to... Uh, went to a place in London to play about, about two hours of it. And it's... It was essentially a combat demo, so what I can't really mm-hmm. talk about is like I have I do know some of the story beats, but I was told very specifically not to tell you. And if I did tell <laughs> you it it would spoil spoil a massive part of the game. Oh, but I got God. delivered that with no context other than a book that I could read to catch me up. Right. But other than that, there wasn't any like there wasn't really a lot of kind of story cutscene, there wasn't a lot of like exploration or anything. So what I can't tell you is I don't know if this is going to be a good RPG or not. I don't know if the story's good. I don't know what the characters are like. Um, what I do know is what the combat is like because this demo was very much about like teaching you how this new action format uh, works for, for Final Fantasy and how that translates to kind of fighting normal enemies and to fighting bosses. Mm. Um, so essentially, if you are a Final Fantasy fan... As, uh, as some of us are in the room and some of us oh, lapsed, yeah. some of us kind of around. Um, traditionally, Final Fantasy obviously always used to be a turn-based kind of thing. And recently, it has dived into more real-time stuff. Final Fantasy fifteen, I think, is probably not the best interpretation of mm. kind of real-time action fighting. Mm. Uh, Final Fantasy seven Remake, a much better version of real-time. But obviously still kind of harking back to classic Final Fantasy with its action sort of... 
you open a menu, right, to choose what attacks you're doing. Yeah. This is, so the combat director on this game is Ryoto Suzuki, who has worked on Devil May Cry 4, 5, and Dragon's Dogma. So it's that kind of stuff. It's like very flashy, very action-heavy combat, not like anything I've played in a Final Fantasy before. And it's sort of, it's definitely a lot more approachable than Devil May Cry is. It's not, you've not got this kind of score system where you're trying to like hit S rank and do a million kind of things together. But it does have that fluidity, that very, very fast, lots of flashy attacks. You're creating combos out of like different sword slashes. Mm. There's dodges you can parry. It's got all of those kind of the fundamentals of what I consider like Japanese action combat. Yeah. But on top of that, there's a magic system that does hark back to classic Final Fantasy in that you have kind of a, a, a number of abilities that are mapped to kind of the, the face buttons that are on cooldowns, so you need to kind of have a tactical approach to it. But these are magic abilities that are channeled from what are called icons, which is basically this game's version of summons. In certain Final Fantasy games, summons are part of the plot. In certain games, they're just big magic attacks that look super cool. For this (laughs) game, basically summons are nuclear bombs owned by each of these different warring nations. They're all warring over these crystals that provide life and, and the energy of the planet. And so basically they have kind of these people that can summon effectively the biggest weapon that they could possibly have. And they fight with them in like massive yeah. fucking kaiju <laughs> battles. But your character is able to channel the abilities of those summons so that he has different unique attacks. So, for right. example, Ifrit is probably one of the most famous Final Fantasy summons of all time. He's a giant fire demon. When you are channeling Ifrit, like... Well, actually, I don't know what channeling Ifrit is like because I didn't get to channel Ifrit specific things. But I got to channel Phoenix, who is obviously another fire-based uh uh, summon and mm. so that was like you could bring up walls of fire and then fire fireballs out of it you got kind of flaming sword attacks you could fire just fireballs as standard magic attacks and then on the fly you can switch to any other summon that you i guess have previously come across in the game okay so, so i've got a question yes about that, actually, go man, on. if you don't mind um so Obviously, the the premise of this world is, like you said, I keep um, thinking of it as like um, Game of Thrones or House mm-hmm. of the Dragon, yeah. more specifically, I suppose, where you like take the ownership of this mm-hmm. weapon of mass destruction. Yeah. And um, well, in in the game, it appears like you almost like embody them. Yes. But like, mm-hmm. you know, you have the power to wield, you have the ability to wield their power and they will only respond to you and they're owned by you. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, the but the big summon battles are one thing but then you're using their abilities in battle yet you're you can only own one of them is that right like so what how does he have those abilities so as well? what the bits of the story that i do know so a lot of this i'm i'm very unclear on because of how little story i got but the idea is yeah. this, so you play as a as a guy called clive and to make it clear <laughs> you can only play clive so you can only yeah. play dale's dad <laughs> um and clive Clive's bro- I think Clive in the story was destined to be like the summoner for his kingdom, yeah. which should have meant that he would have had the power of Phoenix. It turns out in the story that he doesn't get that. It actually goes to his younger brother, I think, who's a guy yes. called Joshua. Yeah. Now, Joshua has the power of Phoenix. Um, it seems that Clive actually has the power of Ifrit. And I don't know if like Ifrit <laughs> is supposed to be like the fucked up version of Phoenix yeah, or something maybe. like that. But I don't know how any of this works. I also mm. don't know how narratively Clive 
takes on the power of these different icons. One thing that Square made very, very clear is that the demo had been built for press to play and it's not completely representative of okay. what this section of the game will be like. And where I think I probably noticed that is part of the biggest part of this demo is basically you're building up to a fight against this woman called Benedicta who she is the summoner for Garuda and Garuda is this giant wind summon 20 foot tall bird woman like massive four winged (laughs) weird fucked up freaky face (laughs) but my character Clive had the power of Garuda already my assumption is that in the main game you would maybe defeat a summon and and then then you'd be able to leech Mm. their power out but for the purposes of the demo they'd given us like Garuda's powers already So the powers that I got were Phoenix, Garuda, and um, Titan, Titan, Mm. which means that like in normal combat, when you're playing as Clive, by tapping L2, you're switching between those summons, and that changes contextually what your face buttons do. So I thought this was like, it took me a while to get used to, but once I got used to just switching between all these summons so that you're... You know, your cooldowns, once you've used all of the abilities for Phoenix, you just swap over to Garuda and suddenly you've got all your cooldowns back. And so you're constantly switching between this. But I noticed they've got they've got really like quite like unique ways that you use it. So for example, Titan, who in the context of the game is this 120 foot tall stone <laughs> giant, basically. His abilities are all like you have to hold down the button and you build up a meter. And a yeah. bit like an active reload, if you let go of the button at exactly the right time, the power is better. And they're all very much like you summon massive stone fists and you can pummel people or you can do like mm. Hulk smashes. He's like specially is like you use the fist as a shield. Whereas Phoenix is much, much faster, like very much about like fire projectiles and fire defense. And then Garuda, because it's the power of the wind, that's much more about like launching enemies into the sky and then using kind of like spectral talons to like drag them back down, smash them into the ground. So they all felt like the speed of them was very different. Like the the impact of them felt very, very different. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I'm very interested to see... Well, let's. I don't know how many of these summons are in the game, but let's say there are 13 icons across the game. Mm. I'd be really interested to know what it's like to build Clive out. And it's like, can I specialize in just one summon and, and sort of double down on them? Is there a, like a, a family of kind of abilities that work really well together? Like, I'm interested mm. how you build Clive out as a character. Like, um, how many do you think you can quick select? Is that, do you think that's a three? Think so that you it, select three that you can quick yeah, select? Yeah, it feels like three. I think it would become unmanageable if you had more yes. than three equipped at <laughs> any one time. rolling through them all. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it already like... I got used to it, but it is or it is still a little bit unwieldy to be tapping through mm. three different... But what I assume is is... In Final Fantasy VII Remake, I became very adept by the time I was several hours in at switching between the three different characters in the party and learning yes. how they worked. Yeah. I assume ultimately that's basically what you're doing. You're flicking between three quote-unquote party members. It just changes yeah. what Clive can I like do. I, I, want, I wanted to know, just stepping back just like to the base combat, you said mm-hmm. it's a lot more action-oriented. In my mind, just from all the imagery I've just been imagining, because I've not actually seen any like videos okay. from this game. You didn't um, watch the preview, Jesse. I'm sorry. Matt's amazing preview that he wrote. I'm going to do it right now. No, (laughs) like obviously I'll find out very soon. But um, 
I'm imagining something like like plays like a Koei Tecmo game, just based combat outside of the summons. Like, is it that action oriented um, where you're just like mashing buttons? Do you have to actively block? No, or, no. I, I would yeah. say it, it's much closer to kind of what you'd imagine Final Fantasy would do. It is a much more smoother and more kind of like accomplished version of what Final Fantasy 15 was doing. It's got much more layers than that, but it's not. Okay. Whilst I think that in the boss fights, which is what a lot of this demo was about. Yeah. It did push me to use all of the abilities. So it's not kind of like relaxed action combat. Mm. But I wouldn't say, you know, when I think of Koei Tecmo, we're starting to look at the kind of like the very kind of ninja focused <laughs> stuff. And yeah. it's it's not that. Like, don't worry about yeah. it being as overly kind of like demanding as Devil May Cry. And, and you know, the Koei Tecmo games and, you know, then yeah. you're going into stuff like uh, like Neo and stuff. It's not that. It's, it's yeah, not that yeah. at all. It's definitely flash rather but than are, are there times where like you're selecting an ability and then the game slows out and slows down and you're like specifically targeting them because i remember no. i played a okay because I, I remember i think in final fantasy 7 remake yeah. you're like selecting mm-hmm. different abilities and the game would slow down so you do that like so, there's no more of so that. no you're you're the way that you're doing the kind of final fantasy 7 style stuff is you just hold down the right trigger and that okay. changes all of your face buttons from it, when you don't have that trigger down, you're just doing normal attacks. It's just sword oh, okay, strikes, okay, dodges, okay. forwards. Yep, yep. And then when you hold down the right trigger, suddenly your face buttons all become the abilities that are focused on the yes. icons. Okay. You know, that's what you summon. Dale, did you have a question before I start? No, no. I, no I, I, do you know what? I, I, um, I was always into... I'm always into the idea of a new Final mm-hmm. Fantasy game anyway. And I did... I, I mean, I thought 15 was okay. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed it. And I liked 7... In terms of the fundamentals of 7 Remake, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't have a... My main issue was with uh, story stuff sure. towards the end. Uh, but this one, like, I was super into it from the start. The medieval aspect of it, I was excited to go about that. But I think I'm really, really sold now after hearing what you wrote... And also seeing this gameplay in action. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like, because I think you mentioned in your preview, and it's absolutely my first impression was this idea of the screen is overwhelming at times yeah. with numbers flying everywhere, sparks and mm-hmm. particle effects and all this sort of stuff. And it just like, it was indecipherable of what's actually going on yeah. here. Um, but I think you did a really good job of explaining it. And then also, you know, examining the footage and really seeing that this system, it doesn't look too overly complex but it looks uh, manageable but also deep and fun I yeah, think yeah. the speed of it looks really Absolutely. fun so I'm just very very excited to, to play it myself I was I was so I went in kind of like with a lot of excitement but with also a certain amount of hesitancy because I think like the 7 remake team really nailed what that action combat was but mm. I wasn't sure what because obviously this is a completely different team this is partially the Final Fantasy 14 online team which yeah. is beloved in its own way but isn't my personal choice of what I like from combat and obviously it's not the same as MMO combat but what they've done I think is if it keeps up this feeling and that feeling proliferates very well across what I'm going to assume is a 40 hour 50 hour game yeah. like I'm excited about that but on on top of what we've already spoken about about Clive as a fighter you also have to remember that Clive can oh, turn into into a big monster. Yeah. So um, we had there's the big idea that this team has is they have three different types of combat. It's Clive versus other humans, which you know was the first bulk of the demo I played was storming this castle. It's you and Clive, his dog Torgal, who you can give very basic commands to, like you could say <laughs> go bite, go heal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You've also got Sid with you, because there's a Sid in this game, because of course there is, who yeah. is played by Ralph Innocent. Vinci. Vinci, or, or the <laughs> dude that does the voice for Dave. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, a little bit weird hearing his voice, but like yeah. he seem, like the voice acting seems probably, I'd say, better than a lot of Final Fantasy games. I don't think it's quite as good as the 7 uh, VO, but what I will say is... It's voiced more like a Western RPG rather than an anime RPG, so it's not got any of the <gasps> ah, yeah, stuff that anime it. has. Can't stand it. Um, I would say, uh, from watching all the cutscenes mm-hmm. and the footage on the video, uh, Benedict is maybe a little bit campy, like yeah. a bit mm-hmm. silly, um, but like you know, she's a very like mustache twirling villain. Yeah, to a she, she is in the. From what I understand from the lore, she's like the spy of this other nation. I think, yeah, like you say, very. Not that she has a moustache, but she no. is that kind of villain. <laughs> but um, um, so her boss fight is against her like at normal size. But later you get to see her summon Garuda. And then as Clive, you have to fight Garuda, this 20 foot tall bird lady. Yeah, that was sounds insane. <laughs> yeah, that got a little bit of the like, I'm no massive anime fan by any means, but kind of like I've watched enough of it to kind of get the the, the kind of vibe. And this had got a bit of that Attack on Titan vibe in that it's one yeah. small dude against this massive fucking creature. And whilst you don't have like the omnidirectional harness that like the guys in Attack mm. on Titan do, so you can't fly around it. One of Clive's abilities in the demo was that like he's got this spectral grappling hook which is from the Garuda powers so once you'd done enough damage to her she would stagger which would mean that her head would be a bit drowsy then you could fire this spectral grappling hook into her face and just ram it into the ground and then go to town on her and that's crazy because like everything you're describing just does not sound like a Final Fantasy game to me it, and I it, feel like this is like probably going to be the more approachable game for me to yeah. actually finish it's, it's more rough and tumble than a lot of yeah. Final Fantasy games. A lot of Final Fantasy games obviously have, you know, particularly like something like Final Fantasy XII, which is very much about the building of your tactics and building a bunch of automated characters. Mm. This is much more kind of, as I say, rough and tumble, a bit grimier. Um, but that fight then evolved into then Clive summoned Ifrit, and then it turns into Ifrit versus Garuda, two massive monsters. And what Final Fantasy does, this one, is... It kind of blends cutscene with with what you're actually doing. Okay. So as you land like blows at decisive moments in the fight, the game just turns into a cutscene. And like God of War will sometimes do this and, and other games yeah. do. But this feels like what it really wants you the, the fight to feel like is this a massive momentous fight that you tri- typically only see in a cutscene. But once like a really cool move is done, it seamlessly then blends back into the action. Um, which I thought certainly worked really well for those fights. Mm. I hope it doesn't feel like it's constantly interrupting you later on. I hope that that blend into cinematic is always at the right moment rather than I fucking just wish I was fighting. But when it turned into Ifrit versus Garuda, which is like Ifrit doesn't control anything like Clive. Clive is super fast, super nimble. Ifrit is big and heavy and slow and it's like, I think in my uh, preview, I described it as like a nuclear-powered wrestling match. And that's what it felt like. It's just like you're you're burning like Garuda's face off and she tears <laughs> Ifrit's arm off and then Ifrit regrows his arm back. Um, there's like a move where you can grab her and smash her into the ground and like run along this rocky mountainside, dragging her face through it. It, it was like watching a kaiju movie, but I was in control of the character. 
I, it definitely reminded me of something. I can't work out what it is though. But you know, in games, sometimes there's, yeah, you'll be, you'll have something that turns you giant, yeah. and then you're mm-hmm. really slow and sluggish mm-hmm. and pondering for the environment, kind of rampage maybe mm-hmm. or something like that. But it it was definitely a like I'm very excited at the idea of the change of pace, not just on that occasion, but each one of these is supposed to be like play out completely differently, right? Yeah, because uh, we're traditionally used to in Final Fantasy because summons have been something that you just summoned as a special attack. Mm. You can use them all the time, but in Final Fantasy 16, the impression I'm getting is the summons will only come out when they're part of the story. Like, it's not just something you can decide to do. They're events. Yeah, and so each one is going to be a different fight. So, you know, I'm sure they showed us some brief looks at other fights, of which one I'm sure was Ifrit versus Titan. But Ifrit is tiny compared to Titan, and I'm like, well, how does that battle work? And then there's a bit where you were able to summon Phoenix, and the only way I can describe what the Phoenix fight looked like was, you know Panzer Dragoon, like that weird Japanese (laughs) game where you're flying, constantly flying, but shooting stuff? But it was that, but you were a Phoenix, like, flying through this kind of, like, almost, like, theatrical kind of uh, roller coaster ride. And their whole idea is they want every summon to feel different. They want every fight to basically have its own bespoke mechanics. Oh, man. What like what possibilities can we come up with here? Um, <laughs> I, want, I want an Alex the Kid style rock, paper, scissors <laughs> at one point. Um, yeah, like an aerial combat one, like with Phoenix mm-hmm. and like Garuda, for example. Yeah. Maybe it could like air combat, ace combat, I should say. Yeah, because then you um, get that, uh, that House of the Dragon style, like two yeah, dragons yeah. coming together. Oh, mate, uh, first-person shooter, get that in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, match-free game. I, w- I want something where, like, you, you, you get Shiva out and it's kind of like, it's like the Iceman fight from X-Men. Ooh. And you like, like, chasing it up. You could put the, um, you know, the snowboarding mini game from Final Fantasy VII, have yeah. you snowboarding down, nice. like, ice trains that she leaves behind her. Uh, I want like the Mr. Freeze battle from Arkham City. <laughs> like I want that like a stealth mission. That or sounds something. like the most interesting Final Fantasy game I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, but like, who knows how like varied these actual mm. will actually be? Yeah, there's it's promises and an actual yeah. delivery, right? That, that but... change of pace kind of reminds you of I think in Metal Gear Solid Four, you briefly control I think Rex. Mm-hmm. Where yes, you're fighting yes. Ray and stuff, and it sort of reminds me of that as you know, you control the snake for a bit, and then you have this complete change of pace in terms of like this yeah. new style of a boss battle. It, I don't think I've been more excited for a Final Fantasy game because I wasn't going to pay attention to this game, but now it just sounds like some fucking mad journey. I, to go I also through. think, like, from what I've gleaned of the story and which is what is so transparently going to happen and be the main motivating factor, it's like so obvious when you watch the trailers. I do think there's. I am actually interested for once in like seeing what this story is mm-hmm. and how it plays out. And also the they've already confirmed, right, that you play as Clive over like two or three time periods. Yeah, right? so it starts oh, okay. with him as like I guess like a late teenager and then it goes into yeah. his twenties and then it's his thirties. So I think that's yeah. really, and I can't think of another Final Fantasy game that does that. There might be ones that I haven't played mm. that do that. Yeah, but. certainly not ones I've played. No, no, so I'm, I'm, I'm very interested. Oh man, I'm very excited for this game. Yeah, I, I, especially because the main character's called Clark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the all, all the upcoming uh, births that are going to happen, and kids are now going to be called Clive. It's Don't be an think influx. so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's actually not as dead a name as you think. But yeah, like yeah, it's, I did. It's strange. I did genuinely think it was very cool. Though the other thing is, as well as a, as a minor sort of like final note on it, if you love Final Fantasy, you're like. I'm never going to be able to play this because I don't play these sort of games. Like, I like my turn-based stuff. I don't like all this fast action. There are these um, rings they've made, which are uh, uh, in-game items that Clive can wear. 
and obviously it's, they're in the accessory slots where traditionally you put something like you know there's the ribbon is a classic Final Fantasy kind of accessory yeah. um, in those slots there are these rings that basically <laughs> make the game a hell of a lot easier so there's a ring that means that Clive will automatically dodge everything that comes at him pretty much there's one where just tapping attack will make him do all the cool combos. So basically, if you really like Final Fantasy, but you're not good at this style of combat, I think they've done like a reasonably good job, from what I can tell, of making mm. it accessible to you as well. Prepare just to like pimp out Clive with like <laughs> just a dormant of rings and stuff. Jesse, you 100% will apply all those rings as soon as you get them. Uh, that's no, true, no, it? no. I don't know what you're talking about. I wanna, you I wanna... love to cheat at games, no. mate. Nah, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, speaking no of cheating at games, that. actually... Um, me and you, Jesse, we've been, uh, we've been very excited up to uh, the build-up of this release coming up. I don't mm-hmm. know what I'm saying there. But Sons of the Forest has just recently came out, and me and you have uh, finished it. Yes. And then the first thing you did when we finished it was install a mod that gave you all the cheats <laughs> so you could jump up into the air by about 200 feet and just leave me running around at normal sp- speed. I really, really enjoyed cheat. that, but I would say that's not the typical experience <laughs> when you're playing Sons no, of no, the Forest. No, no, it's a Jesse Gomez experience, I'm saying, but... But yes, anyway, we played the full game. How long? I'd say we probably put about 15, 20 hours into the thing, yeah. I guess. Uh, and probably a good five or six of that was just building our own base, <laughs> you know, to be yeah. fair. Uh, so yeah, Sons of the Forest, a survival horror game. You uh, crash landed in the middle of a forest, much like the first game. And you've got a simple task, which is to survive and find out what's going on. You've been tasked with, the, you have the task of finding these missing billionaires not really sort of <laughs> not that appealing of a task yeah. not like the first game where you had to find your missing son yeah we can leave um, these guys for a bit <laughs> but because it's a survival game it's very much optional and you can basically play it like a survival game you can spend your time gathering resources and building your best winter shelter that you can and, mm. and surviving the harsh atmosphere but like the first game what I think a lot of survival games lack is there's actually like a lot going on here behind the surface like literally like underground you know lots yeah. of things to explore um i have like i really like it but i have mixed thoughts jesse what, what, what's your first thoughts i'm i feel oh it's very so i think it's very important to say that this game is released in early access yes. as well so a lot of these mixed thoughts we get onto are things that will likely be fixed as before the game actually proper releases yeah that's that's the thing like i think when we when I sort of introduced you to The Forest when we first played it, that was at a time when the game had already been out for quite a few years now and had yeah. a lot of those teething issues sort of like, you know, smoothed out and stuff. And I feel like the same is obviously going to happen to Sons of the Forest because like Dale said, it's a game in early access. And from time to time, you know, we, we experienced a few bugs and maybe some crashes. I mean, I think it was, was it last night or the night before where we were, <laughs> we were playing and I ran down some yeah. stairs a bit too fast as, at the same time Dale was and I just pushed him out of the map so if nobody if you haven't played a game with Jesse let me explain to you how <laughs> infuriating it is because he goes at 100 miles an hour all the time and when you just want to look around the environment and read some lore and stuff Jesse's not interested in that he's bound like you can hear him sh- I heard the other day I heard you firing off bullets and I'm like what are you shooting at and he's like I was shooting at some leaves and I was like what are you- we've got a- you've very got a finite amount of bullets here <laughs> you're just popping them off anyway um, yes we were running down a secret bunker should we say there's lots of secret environments and you know dodgy things going on here um, and you ran past me so fast, nudged me, it clipped me out of the environment, and I just completely fell out of the map. And then we had to reload, and we lost a good like twenty minutes, and we had to sort of hack our way back. Yeah, into we, this we, game. we did problem solve it. 
which yeah. is good. And you do a lot of that in this game. Um, but with, with Sons of the Forest, I mean, Dale sort of mentioned it there. There's a few of those like little issues that just come with a game that's being released in early access that you would expect. But I think it's important to remember as well, despite how fantastic this game looks, ultimately it's still an indie game made by, you know, yeah. a small team. Like we've, we've met these people and, you know, just from what they've been able to create so far, it's really, really impressive. Like I just uh, mentioned the visuals, like just on a sort of base level, like the game yeah. looks fantastic. There'll be times when, when uh, like the wind picks up and the whole forest just moves in unison and it's like hypnotic at times or, there was one time when we were like moving through the mountain um, and like the sun was setting in the distance and then you had like these dark streaks of like red sunlight peeking through the mm. vegetation and the and the clouds and it was like really, really beautiful. Uh, there's, a, there's a much bigger sense of scale in Sons I mean, of the Forest it, it, compared to the it, original. It's corny to say, right? And cliche to say, but it, it genuinely does feel like a real forest. Like, it makes you feel the, like you're in a forest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, there, but there's... But there's uh, you never like the first game had it and lots of other survival games have it where you feel like you're coming across the same formation of trees over and over again yeah whereas this feels like the island as a whole feels very designed if it's not like one where you're just getting front thrown in random locations and everything's randomized it generally feels like a lot of care and thought has gone into designing every element of this island so much so that this lake has to be this size and there's mountains here and then there's secret caves around the side here that like it's very designed and it the density of like foliage and yeah all sorts of things going on like that is incredible it also has seasons as well so i think yeah. we we've worked out as about every five days it changes mm. to a season and you know that that impacts you to a certain degree like in the winter it means there's less berries growing on the trees hmm. and you can't catch fish because all the lakes are frozen over yeah. um if you go up the mountain you get too cold you have to change your clothes and try and get you know, get near fire and like we, for example, we started building our house, uh, I think the day or the day before um, winter started. So most of our build was taking place in the freezing cold. And there were several <laughs> times where we like, dying. we need to put a roof on this place so we can t- get a fire going so we can yeah. keep ourselves warm that's, while we're doing that's this. That's the sort of like dedication to simulation that like brings to mind like Red Dead Redemption 2, which has got yeah. so yeah. much of that kind of like the world feels alive because it mm-hmm. adheres to the laws of what reality does. Yeah. Mm. And... Um, the 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 probably the most impressive aspect to that mantra is uh the enemy ai what you deal with um people if you've played the first forest you'll know that um there was always this uh presentation of uh, they won't they will be cautious and the enemies will watch you and try and learn from you and after speaking to the devs they confirmed that a lot of that's trickery from the first game it's not really happening whereas this time they've really built like a dedicated ai system that tries to learn and adapt to you not just Mm. you the world around them other enemies so there's warring factions for example and they will learn and you you see it demonstrated like i bet you there's tons of stuff we haven't seen so far but even like 15 hours in we'd run like a good example is i ran past an enemy 15 hours in and he, there was a pile of leaves and I was just running past it and he just jumped out to try and ambush me. I'd not seen that before. Like, and we'd had waves and waves of attacks. Yeah. Um, when you, if you take them down too many times, they will come back and be wearing armor and more equipped yeah. and they'll come back in a hunting party to try and take you down. That's kind of yeah. a shadow of Mordory sort of approach, right? <laughs> yeah. In the way that yeah. the, the orcs can like remember what you did to them. Yeah. Hmm. There's even like, so there's different variety, there's cannibal groups that have their own like, livable areas and when you approach those areas 
they will just be there living out their life and they will look at you and examine you and and try and work out what how to deal with you and if you're not like Jesse, if you go in cautiously, you can just walk straight through them and they will just like observe you. And maybe one of them might try and attack, yeah. but maybe a lot of them won't. won't. Whereas Jesse comes in all guns blazing, obviously. They're, they're all going to gonna fight back. And sometimes though they won't fight back. Sometimes they realize your power mm-hmm. and they will run. They will all run That's for their lives. That's Like I, I yeah. started um, a new save just last night just to do some uh, little capture bits. And I took out the pistol approach to their camp and then I just shot in the air and I always saw all of them just sort of like, you know, jump up at once and get really yeah. scared and not know what that is. And then yeah. I killed one of their friends. And then as soon as they saw that, you know, their cannibal mate died instantly. They all ran away. Yeah. And also like c- certain enemies have um, like, I guess, perk points sort of attributed to them. Like they believe stronger in other things or they wanted, to, they have different sensibilities. We came across one guy who was just praying at an altar the entire time and he'd, he'd built his area and his followers it's like a little like religious area. He yeah. built a shrine and stuff and they were praying to him. But then um, if he has good leadership qualities, for example, like, yeah, other people will follow him and mm. like be part of this cult. We saw um, there was uh, a female um, cannibal that came running out. It was very clear that she was female because <laughs> she was naked. Uh, but we we killed her. But then we heard this like, massive scream in the distance. And it was very much like, uh, you know, in I Am Legend where it's like, there's that attachment. It's like that was his partner, yeah. and you've mm-hmm. just murdered his partner. And now and we're chopping her off and eating her. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then also we saw we saw um, like that some of the, the the female characters are portrayed as like you know lesser fighters, I guess. Right. Um, and we saw them like cowering in fear and screaming, like please, like almost like begging us not to hurt them as yeah. well. Whereas you get the big brute ones that come in sometimes you'll see them picking up their fallen comrades and they'll lift them up and have a look at them and see they're dead. And then they just heave the body to the side and then they go, we make a beeline for you. Like you are the threat. You are the danger. Like it is, I am legend. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. Like, you are the thing we've got to exterminate from our environment. And that stuff, like, like I said, even like 15 hours in, I never fail to be surprised with what, how they're going to react. That, to this. that genuinely, I'm, I'm sitting here kind of like almost in awe at all of that. Cause I wish that that was in, cause you know, these sort of games aren't necessarily my bag, yeah. but like I'd really like to see people learn lessons from that. I've, I've been playing Breath of the Wild again, just to kind of like get back into the Zelda groove. And one of the things that I really like is when you approach a Bacobbling camp, they don't necessarily, they're not like just sat there with weapons. Like their weapons are lent against a log like 40 yeah, feet yeah, away. Yeah. And when they spot you, there's that moment where it's like, are they going <laughs> to run for their spears or not? Yeah. And the idea of this being like the more advanced version, the more kind of gritty gamer version of that, I'd love to to see this kind of like be influential and like proliferate out into other games. Yeah. It sets I would some, say, God, Jesse. Oh no, I was going to say like it sets Suns specifically sets a pretty good standard for other at least survival games going forward, where there's a lot of things that you just don't see in those titles. And mm-hmm. like another one of those aspects is Kelvin, which is like you know you have AI yes. companions in this game now. Um, I've seen well. him like fucking people's faces <laughs> up by accident. Yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, it's early access and mm, it's an indie game, yeah. so there's definitely jank, but it makes it funny as well. Like, <laughs> I, I think. Sorry to interrupt your point, Jesse, but I would say, no, go ahead. I feel like this game is great at sort of um, creating these scenarios that, when you're playing in a multiplayer experience, you sort of narratively expand upon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, how many times did we? come up with things like can you imagine what kelvin's thinking right now while he's watching us just like <laughs> chopping up these people and he's just standing there watching us yeah. and then there's but the camp thing we did a we did a crazy thing with the camp 
where you've got uh, amazing zipline abilities in this game. So you can uh, zipline logs up and down, but you can ride them up and down as well. Um, and we saw this camp and we were on a cliff edge overhanging it. <laughs> so we both fired our ziplines down across the camp and we both armed ourselves. And right, right, they're storm them, like modern warfare style. Like, <laughs> and we both, on our ziplines, stormed into the camp and then just started blowing them all away. And it's like, can you imagine the one who survives, like the stories he'll tell yeah. about the, these two, like... <laughs> crazy tech boys who stormed in and murdered all their families. But that's the thing is there was definitely times when we were building up our base where like one or two little cannibals might approach us and they, you know, barely wearing any sort of armor and will destroy them immediately. And then a night afterwards, there'll be like four massively armored dudes fucking us up and trying to, and there's, I saw before like that we had a few like spare logs down on the floor that we're using to, you know, build up our base. And then one cannibal was just dragging them away. I was like, what, yeah. what's your plan with that? <laughs> Please don't well, ruin they, our they plans. Tried, they tried to destroy your base. Yeah. yeah. Like, like if they think, perceive you to be a threat in their environment, they will destroy your base. I woke up. Uh, so I went to sleep in the game at one point and it woke me up in the middle of the night and I came out and there was like five of them out there trying to take down my base. Like clearly I'd become a threat in their environment and they're like, we've got to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was terrifying because I hadn't, didn't have many lights set up as well. So I could just... <laughs> It'd be pitch black and every now and again I'd see one of their faces in front of my face. Yeah. Um, Kelvin, though, is like, we didn't really get to describe what he is. So Kelvin is one of two uh, AI companions who you start the game with, who you have, um, you can le- you have a notepad and you can leave specific requests for him. So you, for a good example is you can say, Kelvin, can you go gather some logs for me? And he'll go around and chop cheese and pick up logs and bring them to where you want them to be. He'll also, you can gather sticks, rocks, fish, he can also carry items for you. You can change his clothes. There's all sorts of weird <laughs> things you can, you can do. And then there's Virginia, who is another character who she, you meet her in the environment, uh, but you have to, it's almost like, um, what's it, what's it? It's like a friendship meter sort of thing. You have to like yeah. build her trust mm-hmm. up before she'll join your crew, but you can load her, you can give her guns and she will carry guns and do like perimeter defense for you and <laughs> stuff. But they, but they actively like walk around, they'll walk around on their own and do their own thing as yeah. well. Um, how you've seen him knocking down bases is someone tells him to chop a tree and the nearest tree just so happens to be right next to someone's yeah. base. Yeah. And the tree will fall, the base gets destroyed. <laughs> and, um, so there's lots of funny things like that can happen. Um, but it's, you can even like, that's crazy. You can even get Kelvin to carry around boom boxes that you can find and he'll just carry it and play music for you while you're working. Um, it's really, I think they've done an excellent job of taking out the dull elements of survival games, yeah. which is essentially the resource gathering, right? The, the rinse and repeat, like, right, I've got to chop another tree down. Like, adding Kelvin in, it doesn't alleviate that. It still gives you enough to feel like you're achieving something, yeah. but it takes out the busy work. And I think it's like an absolute genius mover. Also, I should say, if you don't want him, you can literally put a bullet in his head immediately <laughs> and he will die. And that's it. He's never in that game ever again. Yeah. Which is like, you know, it's just, it's just such a... It, it makes you want to protect him. Mm-hmm, I don't yeah. think, I don't know if the enemies can actually kill him. Like I de- definitely saw them attacking him, but then I ran to his, to his side just to yeah, make sure yeah, I protected him. Yeah. could get him caught well. in a crossfire though, right? There could be like this yes, terrible, absolutely. like tragic accident where you're yeah. crying that you accidentally killed him. <laughs> but but, he, but you really become attached to him because of that. Mm-hmm. I found myself so many times running around. So he doesn't follow you into the, all the, there's quite in depth, like, cave systems yeah. where there's like secret bases and rooms and all sorts of nefarious stuff going on um, he won't follow you into that but every time we come out the caves we'd always be like where's kelvin getting our map gps map out <laughs> trying to find out where he is yeah because sometimes you need him to help him out and he's always like slowly trundling behind you like trying <laughs> to catch up with you um i could speak about this game for hours uh, i would say yeah the um the jank is certainly there 
in, yeah. some, in places. Um, I would say everything to do with the story, and there is a story and there's an ending, we finished the ending, mm-hmm. is not good. And that is because you can tell they need to work on it. And I know, yeah. I know that was the case for the first Forest Ride. The ending that we've got today was not there in the first game. Yeah, they absolutely. added it and they refined it as they went. And the ending right now is almost uh, indecipherable. Uh, there's no dialogue in it. It's just, you're just it's a lot of guesswork about mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. So I would say if you really want to enjoy the story first time, but you want to play this game now, play this game as a survival game for a while. Like definitely go exploring because there's lots of cool things to yeah. find, like cool accessories and armor and weapons. Um, but I'd say probably don't complete it just yet because mm. there's not a lot of a joy to be had. Yeah, from, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's not like it's the hardest survival game. It's not like me and Dale were, you know, constantly dying of thirst and our stamina was always low and, like, we're always yeah. struggling to find resources. Like, maybe when, like, when we were six hours in, we had the overabundance of, like, rope yeah. and <laughs> a bunch of other resources. Um, but that's the thing. I don't think the game's particularly harsh. It has those, you know weather systems in place that'll make your character a little bit cold but there was never a point where you know it was like dead set in the middle of winter and we're like oh we really need to plan out our path like you can still sure. go out you know mess around and stuff but you might just have to have a few more resources with you there's, there's an- definitely points where i felt like oh i really need some medicine right now like yeah, there's yeah. None in- and so we have to go searching to find some and um I don't want to get into too much of what's in all these secret rooms but there's lots of cool stuff to find there is lore as well to find and um yeah, I, I was just going to say something, but I don't want to say it because it's it's part <laughs> of the fun, part of the part of exploring. Um, but yeah, like I said, I could talk about this game for for absolutely hours. I, I think it's it's incredible work from such a small team yeah. of uh, producers, and I can't wait to see what they add to it and how they improve the game. Which I think they like, they're already doing hot fixes already that are yeah. improving certain things. And I think in a couple of years' time, this game will like be up there with some of the best games yeah. out there and you, like, you can already play it with seven other mates if you have enough people who are interested in playing with it like it's already like tons of fun with just you know the two of us but if we had like a couple more it'd be be insane so i can't yeah. even imagine how that would look yeah oh I, like i said i'd love to count talking about it but i just noticed we've already been recording for 41 minutes <laughs> so we've got through two things but it's good it's been Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Good chat. Um, Another thing that started this week, actually, was season three of The Mandalorian. Have you both watched it? I have, yes. No. (laughs) Oh, Jesse. Jesse, the Star Wars boy. Yes, watched it. You know what? It's just, it's gotten to the point where I feel like, I'm just more happy to wait because I feel like I haven't really paid much attention to the latest Marvel films. I feel like I've missed out on like the previous like four of them or so. Okay. And it's the same for Star Wars. Like I've, you know, I've just, there's too much. There's too much. What are you waiting on. for though for the, you said it's better to wait. So what are you waiting I'm for just, for Marvel? I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. Like just 
something to catch my attention. I think the last one I watched was uh, was uh, Shang Chi in the cinema and stuff, and that was the last one I really enjoyed. Like, I haven't watched the Eternals yeah. or don't. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, it's gone to the point where people are posting pictures on Twitter from new Marvel films, and I've gone to the point where I don't know where those are from anymore. And I'm like, okay. I don't feel like I'm in a bad spot. I don't feel like I'm missing I mean, out on anything. I would you know? say there's there's like so last year, me and my wife, had, she'd never watched any of the Marvel films, and we decided to watch them all. Yeah, she had she had no connection to them whatsoever, and it was really cool seeing someone experience them without the the zeitgeist of the release, right? Mm. And everybody like coloring opinions. Just got her pure opinions, and she liked. There's several of them where she liked more than the general impression was yeah. at the time, and vice versa. So maybe it is cool to just wait and just when you're feeling up for some Marvel catch up going through. But, yeah. But anyway, the Mandalorian. So I mean, there's not much to to spoil really. No. Like it was a 30 minute episode. I thought it was a pretty meh episode. It's fine. Like it's fine. yeah, it was just sort of getting you back into the groove more than mm-hmm. anything. I think the Mandalorian's in a really weird position uh, for me personally where. I do not give a solitary shit about the story, about what they're doing, where they're going, (laughs) but I still enjoy watching them do it. Mm -hmm. I still enjoy being in that world and just watching people interact with people and learn and seeing new Star Wars locations and learn meeting new people. What do you think, Matt? I feel like it. It's a an odd point in its life where the story's finished, right? Like they they finished the story, like Grogu was delivered, but. Mm -hmm maybe there's a possibility that this was a much bigger success than they originally envisioned. Maybe. And so now it's a case of, well, we can't give up Grogu, we can't give up Din Djarin, so he's, yeah. we've got to find a new mission for him. And, you know, I, I think that's very much true of Grogu. Like, I feel like you could have... Like, the story that they're going into, this idea of him having to go back to Mandalore... Yeah. is a, a quest that suits Din Djarin, but I don't understand why he's got Grogu with him. But I'm not going to necessarily be against that because I like watching the little green gremlin do funny little <laughs> shit, oh, yeah. um, which yeah. he gets to do, obviously, here. He is an incredibly endearing character, and it's like, if I'm watching it not massively invested in the plot, particularly because we're in... It feels like it's very connected to the extended Star Wars universe at this point, which is something mm-hmm. that is not necessarily a huge interest of mine. I know, Jesse, it is for you. So mm. I think you'd be getting more out of this side of The Mandalorian than I am. Yeah. But the surface-level element of The Mandalorian, like, it always looks good. It has... I really liked Andor, and Andor gave me, like, a very deep version of Star Wars, but this gives me the glossy, like, all the edits are classic styles. You've got the wipes, you've got the circle sort of yeah. fades. Yeah. You've got big lasers, you've got spaceships coming around. Um, it's great after watching 12 episodes of Andor, which basically barely has any aliens in it at all, mm. to actually get some freaks in, like, rubber oh, suits. Yeah. <laughs> which is, I love that. Like, I love how 80s it feels. Like, yeah. that's what I'm getting out of it more than it being a compelling narrative. Absolutely. I do think... Um it kicks off with like a spectacular action sequence, mm-hmm. which was just what looked, the budget looked incredible. It looked m- movie like, quality, right? Yeah. Although, like, it was like, so it was like a uh, Mandalorian initiation ceremony. Surely they knew 
there's a possibility of what happened happening in that environment like is that the most responsible place to do this thing i mean they are mandalorians aren't they like their entire lifestyle is arguably quite kind of like dubious yeah um but no i thought and also obviously this uh contained one of the greatest moments in star wars history which was uh, Grogu hugging a Babu Frick-like character to death. <laughs> was it actually Babu Frick or was it just another Andalorian? Or I, I think it's just, just like more of those little, whatever those little weldy boys are called. No, yeah. I, I think they're like An- Anzelian or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, Grogu hugging one of them to death and the the the, the, the little Babu Frick guy not liking it. <laughs> it's like, oh, this that was amazing. I love Babu Frick anyway, as, you, as the boys can see from my camera. I've got one sitting on my shelf <laughs> behind me. Um, but ultimately, I'm not really excited for next week. I just, I think it, I, it's kind of one of those ones I, I will watch it, but it's not a thing I'm going to put on first thing in the morning. Mm. Yeah, it, it, so. it's not. Season one was kind of appointment viewing, even though I actually think season one has kind of like a, a dip in the middle. I think the middle stretch mm. of episodes were a bit like, oh, I'm not really sure if this season's found its feet. And then I actually did find season two appointment viewing. Like I was really excited to see where that story was going. And even when it was introducing characters that I don't have any connection to, it was cool to see a lightsaber fight with Ahsoka. And it was cool to see, like, what are they called? Jesse, the Dark Troopers, Death Troopers, whatever. All of that was cool. Uh, But I felt like I got to the end and like I felt like it rounded out. And it was great when Mm. when Master Luke turns up and it was great when you get when you get that kind of like a very Star Wars payoff. And now I'm waiting for something to happen in this, which, you know, we are only at one episode in and an episode that does feel like, oh, you didn't watch Book of Boba Fett, did you? Yes. We need to catch you up on the fact that there were actually was, two episodes of The Mandalorian in The Book of Boba to, Fett. I was just about to ask, like, do I, should I watch those two episodes from Book of yeah, Boba Fett? They're, like, they're the best two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you find out certain things which, like, if you did just watch The End of Mandalorian Season 2 and then jump straight to this, there'd be lots of, like, how did he get that? Yeah. Why did he yeah. get that? How does he have this? Also, they do it in the show. They're like, he's like, I thought you were getting rid of Grogu. And he's like, yeah. oh, he came back to me. And that's literally it. And yeah. then they just breeze <laughs> past it. Uh, which was like, yeah, like that's a, that definitely felt like in any other TV show, it'd be, you'd go a couple of seasons of Grogu not being around and then eventually a big re- yeah. like reuniting mm-hmm. moment. And it just, they're not delivering on that aspect but, of it. You know, this is something that we might get around to in the spoiler chat for Ant-Man later, but also that's the MCU of it, isn't it? If you yeah. haven't fucking watched all of it, then you're you're a bad fan and yeah. it's not going to work we're just out. Not, we're just, yeah, we'll oh, get to it, Ant-Man. We're just not mm. taking time to sort of like tell character stories anymore. We're just like mm. mechanical stories. Mm-hmm. Like get to the plot. What's the next bit? What's the next bit? What's the next bit? And it's like... Yeah, we're not growing with anyone. Anyway, that's Ant-Man's problems. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right, let's do a quick game. And I've themed the game based on the three things that Ooh. we've spoken about already. So we're going to... It's coming back. We're doing a quick go on name them. Nice. Oh, God. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Shit. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Yes, so only three rounds on this. And yes, one round is very much tailored to Matt. One round is very much tailored to Jesse. And the other one is up for grabs. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna see where we go. So, uh, the first one. 
As we, we spoke about icons earlier, as known as summons in other Final Fantasy games, specifically Final Fantasy VII, there are 16 summons. Jesse, <laughs> Matt, how many can you name? Matt, uh, you kick it off. I'll, I'll put the bid in as the yeah. correct number, which is seven. <laughs> okay. Only seven? No, there's not, but like seven. Oh, I can right, do yeah. seven, seven summons seven. Final Fantasy I'm, VII. I'm an idiot. Um... I feel like Jesse, you'd know a lot of these anyway, just for years of like being following video games in general. I don't. Other than really? the ones that like Matt just mentioned, which not all of them are in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to let him get away with seven though? Because I know he could probably do more. There's there's no way. I'm just going to straight up loose. Just go on and name. Play them. poker, mate. That's <laughs> a, well, the thing we never do on this game on this show is play poker with it. Like, it will be embarrassing the up. for then Matt just to be like, just name him Jesse. And then I'll just be okay. fucked because I can't name one. <laughs> Don't worry, Jesse. The next round is very much tailored for you. Uh, so, okay, seven. Matt, what we got? Okay, so we're going to do Chocomog. Yep. Uh, Ifrit. Yep. Shiva. Yep. Bahamut. Or Bahamut, yep. however we want to yep. pronounce that. Uh, Bahamut Zero. Uh, yes. Neo Bahamut. Yes. Uh, Knights of the Round. Yes, that's seven. That's seven. It? Shall we done. keep going? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what else Titan. Uh, yes. Ramu. Yes. Um, well, else am I I'm missing? Um, uh, oh, what the fuck's the, the there, bull there, one? There, I, You've definitely got the the one the main ones right, and there's a few that you kind of forget about. I yeah, think. yeah. There's there's one which it begins with a K, and it's a big yeah. ball. Kaju, Kaju, yeah, Kajata, Kajata. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Odin. Yes. And the two Odin. forms of Odin: Gunjalance and uh, Steel yep. Bladed Sword. It's just just listed as Odin. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> who else have we got in that game? Um, I mean, you got it. Yeah, so I can read yeah. out infinite so, points. <laughs> so uh, Alexander, yes, another one. Mm-hmm. His big old sword, uh, Hades, mm-hmm. and Typhon as well. Um, I think that's everyone. Yeah, that's yeah. The Hell yeah. Train's not in that one, is it? Hell Train's in eight, I think. No. Yeah. A well-deserved win. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, <laughs> Jesse. This is your point of redemption. This is when I'm going to fuck up as well, and my mind's going to go. Fuck. But this is one that Matt could could even sneak in, even though I think he's not played this game. I still think he could get a lot of these. Okay. Uh, the forest has 24 weapons in it. 24 devices that you can cause damage with. Um, how many of them can you name? How many did you say? So there's 24 in the game. 24. Uh, let's go with eight. Ooh, Matt. Okay, so I've not played that? The Forest and I don't have any idea. However... I've played some of these sort of games. Yeah. There's a lot of these weapons you would yeah. be able to guess. I'm going to try 10. Ooh. And we're just doing the first game, right? Just the first game, yeah. Okay. 11. Yeah. How many points 10. do I need to beat Matt right now? <laughs> well, you need to get 11. <laughs> then you get one point. Uh, Matt, do you reckon you can improve on that? Mm. No, go on, name them. Okay, all right. Okay, um, you've got the plane axe. Uh, I believe it's called. Did you say? Oh, sorry, you said plane axe. I was. You, I no. thought you was like vanilla axe. I no, no, you no, was no. Like aircraft axe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, then you've got um, the machete. Machete. Yeah, machete. Machete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's in the game. Um, climbing axe. The climbing axe. Yes. 
uh, modern axe. Yes, exactly right, yeah. Katana. Yep, that's five. Um, tennis racket. Uh, I know that is there. I'm just looking at it from the <laughs> list. I can't see it on this list, but I definitely know that's there. So this list must be wrong. So I'm going to give you that point. <laughs> uh, chainsaw. Yep. Um, crafted bow. Yes. Modern bow. Mm-hmm. Weak spear. <laughs> uh, or just spear. Is it weak spear or just spear? I've seen crafted spear, but they've not got it listed listed i don't think it's called that but spear is one of them okay it? then you, then... clearly not good <laughs> um, crossbow yes crossbow you've got 11 now all right and then i was just gonna go the last one the uh, is it called a flintlock yeah flintlock pistol yes that is one as well so the ones i got listed is cattle prod chainsaw crafted bow crafted club crafted spear time bomb the torch uh the one you've said that you said that you said that knife uh, molotov uh, the putter. Oh no, this is. Oh, okay. So this is from the sequel. <laughs> That's oh, where Dale, the confusion you is. I've actually fucked it. <laughs> fucked it yeah, so. uh, severed limbs, though, is one that you can use yes, as a please. weapon as well. Uh, the shotgun. You didn't say. There's the, the. Yeah. See, I was going. I was going based on my knowledge of the first game. If it was the yeah. second one, I would have smashed it. You got the point anyway. Even yeah. though I had the wrong list, you got the point. <laughs> uh, but this this one's the important one. We're one all, and this is the one for the win. Right. Mandalorian. We're talking about here. In The Mandalorian, there is 46 named characters that have appeared. I'm not counting extras or people who don't have dialogue. I'm showing off the Wikipedia list of every character that's got a name. How many of them do you think you can name? Mm. Uh, Matt, you I mean, off. I'll start conservative with five. Okay. Let's go with six. An improvement, Matt? I'll try seven. Ooh, it's very tight. No one's making any big leaps yet. Jesse. Oh, no. I'm getting nervous. Uh, eight. Oh. No, go on, name them. I, oh, I, I, I'm, st- okay. I'm really stuck. Like, I, I could tell you some actors, but they're not actually <laughs> yeah. characters. Absolutely. Um, I was looking for this list and I was like, yeah, I know the actor. I don't know what their character name is. Though. Because they're all um, called, like, Jeeves Boonafort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, go on, Jesse. Eight. Okay. Just eight. Din Djarin. Yep. Um, Bo-Katan. Yep. Grogu. Yep, that's three. Um, IG-11. Correct. Moff Gideon. Yep, that's five. Uh, Fennec Shand. Yes. Boba Fett. I'm just he is he's in, yeah, in yeah yeah I've got him <sighs> one more I think her name is just the armorer or what's her name yeah the is woman that armorer? runs the forge she yeah, does have like, the a armorer. like that is that what you're submitting the armorer the armorer yes the armorer is correct wow. <sighs> good uh, how many more could you do is there any more that's eight you've got the point you've I think won, I can but... is who was the one who was the actor who just ended up fucking everything up was her name Cara Dune what yes, was yes. it Cara that's Dune. it yeah. Gina Carano yeah that's it yeah I, I don't Bib know Fortuna's in one of the episodes as well isn't he <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, so Bib Fortuna was listed as a guest star mm-hmm. yeah, uh, at one point I can't remember the name of the the Werner Herzog's character is that his name yeah Werner Herzog played the client oh uh, see that's just such a <laughs> <Yeah>. vague name <laughs> 
they do get range for this for Star Wars, don't they? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. very descriptive, like job-based names to fucking bizarre <laughs> names that's like backwards language. <laughs> it's, it's, it's strange. Um, oh, Cobb Vanth. That's it. Yes. Oh, him, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to read all these out. I'm just going to see if there's any that yeah, are worth six mentioning. <laughs> frog Lady, apparently. Who's Frog Lady? Oh, yeah. She's in the, you know, the the the, the two frog people in season oh, two, I think. And he's Grogu literally eats the called eggs. Frog Lady. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> Called Frog Lady, yeah. Um, a lot of these, yeah, I don't want to pronounce because they're rubbish. Oh, Ahsoka as well was Luke oh, Skywalker. Shit, yeah, that would have been easy. <laughs> yeah, Paz Vizsla. Oh, that's John Favreau apparently. Yeah, <laughs> did a voice for somebody. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Nice, Jesse. You get the point, and let's move on to the feedback. Thank God. Uh, I believe Jesse, you're first. Lovely. This is from Adam Neil Jones, which is a pretty cool name. Sounds like a captain's name. I don't know. Does it? Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like an admiral name or something. <laughs> like Adam Neil Jones. Um <laughs> he says, Hey IGN, long time, first time, yada yada yada. Hey. <laughs> um, hey back. Thanks. <laughs> for, my, for my honeymoon, my wife and I drove around America whilst in San Francisco. We took a trip to Alcatraz. Nice. I immediately felt like I knew where to go, how to get around, and had a massive feeling of deja vu. It was only about an hour in to walking around that I realized that tens of Tens of thousands of hours, or just tens of hours. I say thousands, makes it sound cooler. Of no, Tony it Hawk. doesn't. It's yes, the it opposite does. of cool. <laughs> <laughs> he loves Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4, um, but that level was seared into his brain. It says that Alcatraz level is a masterpiece of level design. I couldn't believe how accurate they had made the level. I completely felt like I had been there before. I've not been able to play the level since being to Alcatraz. <laughs> Maybe I'd be disappointed if I played it again. Let's see if they do a remake of Tony Hawk's three and four anyway respect to see admiral adam neil jones <laughs> um alcatraz thing is so weird for me because uh, i've been to alcatraz twice yeah but the second time i went i remember coming back and wanting to play watchdogs 2 because mm -hmm. you can go into alcatraz there oh, and in watchdogs 2 it is exactly the same like you could walk around the thing exactly the same it's crazy how like almost the saying like you don't need to go alcatraz just play watch Dogs too <laughs> i was just excited i i remember watching i think escape from alcatraz as a kid and thinking that place looks sick and then i went there and it was <laughs> they probably shot fun. it there right i feel like they did yeah i don't know enough about it probably people are like of course they did but um, yeah, that makes sense. What about you guys? Anything, any other locations in games uh, apart from the Santa Monica Pier in GTA Five, which <laughs> everyone talks about? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be quite honest, like we—I was on one of the podcasts when this topic first came up, and one of those yeah. they said was that LA obviously was. Yeah. But like the one of the things that I'll always remember about LA is, you know, at the start of um, GTA when you're in Michael's therapy session. And then the perspective switches to um, them driving the cars up the ramp past his. Yeah. I can remember going up that ramp when I went. To, it was my <laughs> first visit to LA and we come in off the freeway. I was just like, that's fucking Michael's therapist's house. Like it literally <laughs> is there. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the first time I ever had that, and this was when I was really young, I played the Getaway Black Monday. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the earlier missions has you go into a boxing club. And that boxing club is called All Stars Boxing Gym, which was a gym that I used to go to for kickboxing and was only two minutes down from where I lived. And it's the most like niche thing I've ever seen in a game. Because if you know how a road, you know it's a dump. <laughs> it's the only good thing there. It was just crazy to see. It is. You know, I feel like 
maybe Watch Dogs Legion was the last time where you really saw a recreation of a place. Yeah. Like, am I missing something? Or maybe I've not been to Tokyo, but I imagine Ghostwire Tokyo has a lot mm. of similar. I've places. heard that it's very, very accurate because it's got all of those weird little side streets and stuff like that. It's That's, yeah. again, like how Watch Dogs was a bit of a love letter to both San Francisco yeah. and um, London. And I guess, was it Seattle the first one was in or Chicago? But um, I can't remember. But yeah, she like, like sounds familiar. they very much like like what Ghostwire Tokyo felt like a love letter to that city, which mm. was the good bit about it. Not so much yeah. the fighting ghosts and collecting stickers. <laughs> Don't think uh, yeah anywhere else. Like I've not been to Seattle, but I imagine like Infamous as a mm-hmm. like I'd like to see that comparison as well. Mm. Um, and then obviously the Assassin's Creed games. Obviously we're seeing through a different lens and a different time period. But in terms of like monuments and mm-hmm. certain structures, yeah, there's a. There's what a about lot the um, the one Forza Horizon game that took place in England? Yeah, so that was very much. So I actually made a video where I went around and shot loads of oh, locations yeah. in real life, and um, that is an extremely sort of like uh, cartoony version of it. It's they took all like very, a little corner piece of somewhere and just put it, it into the game. It's kind of not even remotely connected. It's just like general. This location's in the northwest stick it in the northwest of the map it's that sort <laughs> okay, of vibe it's like not really connected in any way apart from like a general sort of yeah if you head to the west you're kind of in the valleys mm-hmm. sort yeah of and the roads are very very wide compared to reality <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well yeah there's absolutely that yeah and there was also the uh there was a it's a windmill structure that's actually near leamington spa so it's in the the west midlands way warwickshire way um but I've been to that in real life to shoot it and then actually recording it. In the game, you can just drive right through it and underneath <laughs> it. You definitely cannot do that in real life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's cool. I, I, I always get a kick out of it as well. Like I've got a big thing for um, going to where movies were shot mm-hmm. in mm. places. Anytime uh, me and my wife decide to go somewhere or if I go somewhere for work, I always have a look and see if there's any movies I like that had scenes shot there and then go and like just look at them and see what they look like in real life yeah my favorite one ever was probably um when i was in edinburgh i made sure i went to the shop where um it's a kebab shop in avengers oh, Infinity yeah. War. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually right. a jewelry shop in real life but i went Aww. to that corner exact corner where they've got the kebab sign up as well that was uh, one of my favorite <laughs> ones to see but, um That's like cool. um i forget the uh, the old town in dubrovnik uh where they shoot king mm-hmm. of king's land and stuff for mm-hmm. game of thrones that's amazing. Like you see so many like locations. It's a lot of, you know, the narrow streets and things like that. Like if you're a fan of Game of Friends, it's like a must see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let us know if you've uh, you've been to places that you've played in, in video games and uh, about what that experience is like for you. Right. This one's from Gary Noble. He says, hey, IGN crew. Hope you're all doing well and thanks for the continuously great podcast. It's an always perfect start to the uh, way to start off the weekend. I'm emailing you for thoughts on how you approach weapons in video games after I recently saw that Deathloop was celebrating 5 million players and sent out a tweet about how many people had found the rarest guns in the game. I was surprised to see only 12% of people had unlocked the Strelak Verso, which I found surprising I was easily the most exciting gun in the game. I'd have thought more people would have wanted to go out their way to find more exciting guns in game rather than just run with the basic guns and trinkets. It got me thinking, actually, before we go into that, any th- any thoughts on that? Like, 
I'm pretty sure you'd be surprised at the percentage of people who complete games, let alone, like, get things. That is yeah. true, yeah. And also, the yeah. Strelic Verso does have a puzzle to get it. The one that I was oh, actually okay. surprised about that was in that Deathloop tweet is the Constancy Automatic, which you literally pick up off the corpse of a person you have to kill to complete the game. Like, <laughs> right. that was a really low pickup rate. I was like, it's a really cool gun, and it's literally on the corpse of someone you have to kill. That's probably it's something I would miss, to be fair. <laughs> I love stats like that. I love finding out, thing, like, mm-hmm. you know, how many people actually did certain things. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, like, when they added those percentage points to um, achievements and trophies mm-hmm. and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's just super interesting. Anyway, uh, Gaz continues. I said Gaz because he signs off with Gaz at the end. I didn't just spoilers. <laughs> Gary to Gaz. It got me thinking about great weapons over the years of games, be it the excitement of finding the Blades of Chaos again in God of War, my reliance on the Icebreaker in Destiny, or, in fact, the car- that card he didn't seek out the Master Sword in Zelda, which is mental. He yeah, that's that. insane. That was me. Um, I'm also currently playing my first playthrough of Elden Ring, and although this may be the wrong approach, I found the... Oh, God. Uchi Katana? Uchi Katana. Uchi Katana. Early on, I never looked back but it makes me wonder on what weapons I'm missing out on by sticking to this one sword. I may find a cool new looking sword or axe, but the stats never seem worth trading out for my plus seven katana. So, rant aside, to my question, number one, are there any weapons you famously remember relying on in games? And two, what do you think the best way games should approach introducing new weapons to the player? How do they strike that balance of making weapons viable to use without being overpowered? And they say, Mm. thanks again for the great content. As always, respect the C. Uh, that question um, could definitely answer the second part with build systems where that forces the player to use certain types of combinations and weapons. Like yeah. certain enemies can only be defeated by certain weapons. Doom Eternal. And it, Doom's the yeah, best uh, fucking shooter for this. <laughs> things that encourage variety, encourage you, because otherwise you end up with the Bioshock 1 thing where it's like, I've got the shotgun and the, the electro bolt. Yeah. Why would I ever need to change? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think uh, like I, I, can't praise doom eternal enough it's like it's one of my favorite shooters of all time and i think it's it's such a a wonderful example of how every enemy in that game has a different weak point and it always throws a huge combination of those enemies against you and Mm. the dance of doom eternal is like I shoot this one with the underslung grenade launcher on the shotgun, but then this one, I break the shotgun in half and mm. put the other piece on it. Now I switch to my ballista. Now I switch to the assault rifle. I look like that. I love that so much about mm. Doom Eternal. Yeah. Obviously, that works for shooters. That can't work for every type, but I think yeah. I think God of War is very good at, as, a, as a melee game of having enemies that are clearly very well dispatched with the yes. Leviathan axe and, and enemies that are clearly better at being hit by the blades of chaos yeah mm. but i did think um evil west for like all its flaws that like i definitely found myself constantly switching mm-hmm. between combat techniques i think there's potentially a combination of cooldowns and also rewarding players for actually swapping and mm-hmm. trying different techniques whether that's like maybe a combo system or something or you know something that encourages you to actually keep rotating yeah. and move things because he's right like as is right like people will just stick to a weapon if it works for them mm-hmm, like yeah. want to encourage this variety i find myself doing that on games like uh, fallout comes to mind where i just get a good gun and we're like well why would i ever need to change mm-hmm. I don't yeah need to change yeah the kind of thing about elden ring and, and in general from soft uh, games is that they have a different approach to weapons and the idea is is that like you find a weapon that you like and you foster it and you bring it through the game and you build a relationship with it in the way that kind of like 
you know how in Game of Thrones, like they all have like name named weapons, and it's like yeah. this is a legacy weapon for our family, and it's yeah. almost been like Elden Ring is supposed to foster that idea with you. I actually think there is a, I think it's Dragon Age Inquisition allows you to rename weapons. So if you have built an attachment oh, cool. to it, you can call it like, you know, Icebreaker o- or whatever you want. Oathkeeper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so with Elden Ring, it is much more difficult, particularly because the materials that you use to upgrade the weapon are so rare. Mm. They're much more common in Elden Ring. But what I would say with Elden Ring is at least you can change the skills that those weapons do, particularly on the standard, like the Uchi Katana its special ability you can make that whichever special ability you want as long as it works yeah. on a sword um the other nice thing is like i would carry on building your uchi katana out but also you will eventually find like the named legendary weapons that have their own sort of thing and just play i always go back to areas which have super weak enemies and play around with the weapon and go this actually feels like really cool and i really like just hacking all yeah. of these things and then I know that I need to put resources into it to upgrade it so that when I go back to a high-level area where I was, that that weapon I know I will enjoy mm. rather than hitting high-level enemies with a low-level weapon. Yeah. yeah. Is there, like... So on, I was thinking of... I was playing Atomic Heart recently. Mm-hmm. I've stopped, I stopped playing it after about five hours, to be honest. But um, I found myself not interested in crafting new weapons when I was playing it because I felt like I would rather just upgrade what i've got yeah and i don't know why that is i think partly maybe because i just wasn't enjoying the mm-hmm. weapon system i didn't think mm. i'd see that new weapon and i'd be like well what's there's nothing exciting about that for me mm-hmm. whereas um what was the game i was playing recently where um oh um high on life where um every new weapon came with its own excitement because like what is this gonna do yeah what, how yeah. is this gonna act and i think encouraging like like ratchet and clank is another good example of that right mm-hmm. crazy weapons things that like if I'm just picking up a AK-47, I know what the vibe of that gun is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Give me a reason to be excited about using mm. a new weapon. Yeah, uh, Atomic Heart definitely has like less interesting weapons than than those games. What I will say for Atomic Heart is that because I I've not put as maybe as many hours into it as you, but I last night got to a point where one of the the upgrade cabinets was just like oh, you've now unlocked the ability to, you can just break down any weapons you've got and you can put the items back in. And it was trying to encourage me to like, if you don't like what you've got, we are not going to impose any penalty Mm. on you to just break everything down into its raw components and you can build whatever you want and there's no cost for that. And I kind of get annoyed that there are games that have so much variety, but they lock you in and then they punish you for trying to change to a different variant because they're like, oh no, you've got to pay us like 5,000 gold to respec. It's like, no, if you've got this many types of options for me, I need to have free reign to be able to find out the one that works for me rather Mm. than being punished through payment. Why does that respec thing even exist in games? Why do they do that? (laughs) Well, I mean, just to encourage you to like choose a path and stick to that path. I like, think I, I like the idea of building a character. Like I think it's really cool, in, particularly in RPGs, and it's better in actual RPGs rather than yeah. what is now essentially an entire brand of pretend RPGs that sure, have a few yeah. elements in it. But it is really cool to go like, you know what? Like I've seen this synergy between these two abilities, so I'm going to build a character that uses these two abilities that link really well with this weapon. But then later on, you might find a weapon and you recognize that weapon has synergy with another two abilities that you've mm-hmm. not built around. I love that kind of like design, and so um, what's the what was the 
game that we played that got all of the Outriders was it the one with all oh, yes. yep, yep, yeah. yep. Outriders was really good at like you could build like really cool synergies between a weapon and particular abilities and yeah. that had that thing where it was like if you don't like what you've built you can go back and start again yeah. I think that's really cool but I think that works so well in an RPG that has skill trees built around that the mm. problem is with the RPGification of fucking every game you ever play <laughs> is that they don't do it properly so it doesn't feel like there's any benefit to like specking it feels like you should just have it all and you should just be able to choose yeah, yeah. I, I i do like atomic hearts approach i do like that. that the idea of like you know this ultimately this is your game mm-hmm. we're not going to punish you for changing your mind at mm. some point yeah. and i think you know more, more games can learn from that as well um anyway moving on matt you've got the final email yeah this one is from chris m from stratford in london he says hi everyone first time long time i hope you're having a great 2023 on the latest podcast, Dale made the point mm-hmm. that he doesn't want to do things in VR that he can do in real life Stand and used it. an example of going <laughs> well. fishing in the VR game, A Fisherman's Tale. I've played this game and it is far from a fishing simulator. I mean, <laughs> I don't know anything about this game. As Cardi said about it as a fishing game, I was like, well, I'll just go out yeah, and uh, Because Chris doesn't <laughs> offer a wider sort of context, it's a, it's a puzzle game with fishing. Right, with, okay. You play as a fisherman, as I think, but it's got, it's almost from what I've seen of it, it's almost got that maquette sort of element where like there's bigger things and you can go into mm. small things and become big and that makes sense. all of that. With that in mind... I wondered if any of you had judged a book by its cover and based your opinion of a game on very little and then been pleasantly surprised, really impressed or outright shocked. The one that instantly comes to mind for me and is probably an easy one is Doki Doki Literature Cup. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you for all the effort you put into the podcast. All the best and respect the sea. Uh, yeah, I do this all the time. Yeah, and absolutely. Sometimes I double down and stand by it and like refuse to try things. Um <laughs> But I'm also of the mindset of life's too short. And if I, if I really like the look of something, mm-hmm. then I would just play it. I don't have all the time in the world to just try everything on the, on the chance that I might like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, but the one time I remember being really wrong was Skyrim when that came sure. out because I instantly kind of dismiss high fantasy quite a lot of the time. And um, <laughs> I, everyone around me was playing it. And I was like, no, why would I want to play this? I'll play Fallout instead. Um, but it was just off a chance. I saw it go on sale for £20 in a store, I think, game probably. And I just thought, oh, I'll give it a shot. And then here I am. I've probably finished that game about six times now. Always mm. as a stealthy archer, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it, like I was so wrong on that occasion. Yeah. What about you guys? Uh, mine was Near Automata. Um, so I can remember going to Gamescom and uh, the PR for Square Enix had begged me to go and see to go and see Neil Automata who's like it's going to be like one of the best games that we put out in a long time you everyone's going to love it it's really mm. important and i went and i watched uh it was a hands off demo and i watched some people pilot these fetishized androids through a <laughs> desert where there was fucking nothing going on and they hit a few very basic looking robots until they fell apart and i was like this looks fucking garbage and i didn't even write a preview of it um the first um, demo of it came out and i uh, played the demo with my housemate and both of us were like this is shit and so i spent a long time thinking that near automata was a piece of piece of crap and then that same housemate couldn't get it out of his head he was like because there was a such a high amount of praise for near automata he was like there must be something here and i'm gonna play it until i find it and he like within like 10 hours had become part of the church of near automata and i was like (laughs) no you were the chosen one i've lost you to the crowds (laughs) anyway like 
three, four years later, I played it through. It's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesse, have I... Yeah, I think for me, like, I've always found um, just turn-based combat, JRPGs, and just RPGs in general, just to be infuriating and usually slow. Right. <laughs> Specifically with JRPGs. Uh, but then someone on like my Discord server just kept bugging me saying, please stream Persona 5. If you're going to play a JRPG for the first time, it might as well be this one. And I just couldn't get it through my head that like I really hate turn-based combat. I was really yeah. against it until I saw the game was on sale on like PSN for like five quid or something, picked it up. And I think maybe within like six minutes of playing the game, I was instantly convinced just because of the style and how yeah. fun turn-based combat can be at times. I don't think I'm ever going to you know go back and play... JRPGs from like the you know SNES or PS1 era and stuff because I feel like they're still a bit too old school for me and I'll probably just mm-hmm. be lying to myself if I said I was going to enjoy them but yeah. Persona 5 is it's probably you know it's a super highly regarded game anyways beyond its JRPG roots and I just thought it was wicked and it's the first game I ever put like maybe 100 hours into within like a few weeks nice. so it was a good experience overall um that's awesome and i'm sure our listeners have lots of examples of them judging books by their cover but then you know eating eating humble pie afterwards when they've tried them out so make sure you send them in the email address is ign underscore uk feedback at ign.com now jesse you have not seen Amman. do you want to leave no, I don't give a shit. I'm not watching that. I want <laughs> just listen to us. Okay, yeah, I just want to hear you guys just like berate it. <laughs> okay, cool. Right. So everyone else who's listening, if you've not seen Ant-Man and you don't want to be spoiled, make sure to leave now. If you don't care or you've seen it and you want to hear us chat about it, stick around. That's me. Yeah, but if you if you love this film and you still love what the MCU are doing, like uh, if that was my opinion, I'd probably bail now because you yeah. don't always want to yeah. listen to someone <laughs> trash the shit that you Absolutely, love. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And oh, so right. I wouldn't want you to feel upset. So, uh, so that's well where excited. the conversation's going. Right. Spoilers come in after a little piece of music. Who are you? I'm the man. Who can give you the one thing you want? What's that? Time. We're in Ant Man, Matt. I've I've not apart from the fact that I get the gist that you don't like it. I've not heard you say a single thing about it. So so what did you think? Uh, I don't I don't think it's a film. I, I, I can I, hear you. Wow. Well, I'm with you there. I think I think it's a massive trailer for a villain that will one day be important later on in this MCU timeline, mm-hmm. but they don't even do anything interesting with him in this. So yeah. it's, it's a big film to introduce Kang the Conqueror, Kang the Conqueror, right? Who, you know, and what I will say is Jonathan Majors is very good as him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Slight reservations about the plasticky nature of his costume, but yeah. in general, like when he fucking beats Ant-Man up, like that guy is an angry dude and he's got, I don't think he's got the gravitas of Thanos at this point, but he's got like the seeds that could lead us to there. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I, I mean, what, my wife came to the cinema with me and, and she's a good measuring stick for like sort of general audience mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And I think what she got excited about the fact was I told her that's the new Thanos, but then she's just like, he's just a man. Yeah. He's a man for the future. And then at the end of that fight scene, you see like he's a henchman, but he's just a man yeah. mm-hmm. in, and a flawed man as well. And I think that's the really exciting part about him. And the, the and also like Jonathan Majors is a big given like keys to the castle here with the idea of 
you can play so many versions of Kang and play them in different yeah, ways. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's an actor's dream, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. What I will um, say is like that for I'm, I didn't watch the second post credits. I was sort of oh really? Yeah, I I, <laughs> I drunk a very very big American sized lemonade in an American theater, so I needed to go to the loo. And it was like I've seen the first post credits. I assumed that the second one was going to be a bit of a joke like they normally are, and apparently yeah. it's not. But so I but no. I did see the first post credits. And I did get a little comic book kind of nerd kick out of seeing the different versions of Kang and yeah. seeing the one that was like the very first version of Kang in the Pharaoh style stuff. Like yeah. that I thought was genuinely kind of cool. But what I think is for a film that was supposed to be establishing Kang, I think they still made him feel like gem- like a general throwaway Marvel villain, even though I thought he was good at what he was doing. Didn't really explain who he's a conqueror of, why he's conquering, what any of his like real big motivations are. It was just like, I've been trapped down here in this Star Wars universe that's quite little. Yeah. And, and kind yeah. of like, I didn't really get a lot out of that. So as a as a story to lead you further into the Marvel Universe, I don't think it's I don't think it's very good, which is where I kind of get at that kind of trailer element. It's like a big hint to to where we're going. But ultimately I didn't think it was a very good story. I don't think like no. the the position of ant-man and his family versus this dude that's been locked in the quantum verse was was all yeah. that great and it never felt like an ant-man film no well, at all well that, for me. Uh, tell you what it did feel like a fucking fantastic four film so it's like well why isn't it a fa- <laughs> it is a family of superheroes that go into the weird and wacky realm to fight kank it's yeah. it's a fantastic four film on paper that it almost was like we haven't we haven't figured out what we're doing with the Fantastic Four yet. So we'll just choose the other family that's vaguely resembling of them. Well, there's Ant-Man, his wife, the Wasp, their parents, and and his kid, right? So it sort of fits. But none of those characters are characters. Like, Cassie has a certain amount. They At least they establish her as, like, she's older now. She's kind of like this kind of cool rebel she likes to go out and fight she's Mm. clearly part of extinction rebellion or something like that (laughs) and so she's got a start but i wouldn't say she has like a truly defined arc through that everybody else is paper thin michael douglas hasn't got a fucking clue what he's doing yeah like he's got the probably the best line in it where he talks about ants being like well into socialism but (laughs) and that's absolutely my biggest problem is like no one felt no one grew or developed the only one Mm. who grew or developed was modok yes and i'm like it's kind of joking but also you know deadly serious Mm. i think the cassie stuff was everything they set up in the like the best example of this is the opening of the film and the ending of the film are almost exactly the same in terms of mm-hmm. like scene. And I feel like, oh, well, great. So nothing changed. Yeah. Nobody grew. Nobody changed as a person. Nobody achieved nothing. Nobody like um, grew to the person that they're in conflict with. Mm-hmm. There was no base. Basically, the only conflict that was implied was Cassie wants to like follow her dad's footsteps and like fight crime and do the right thing. But she's annoyed at her dad's taking the easy life. And her dad is never, he's never like, it's not a call to action for him. And he decides mm-hmm. this is a moment I need to go back to that. He's just forced into yeah, it. Yeah. He's just like he dropped into it. He's like, oh, I guess I've got to do this now. I thought the Cassie stuff, like there was conflict with her and her dad at the start. Why was that not developed further? Mm-hmm. Why did she not, why did she not side with Kang for a bit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Kang could have been a law said like, oh, I'm the guy that's really like the good guy and, and like, does all the things that you want to do, like the freedom fighter aspect of it. So why did she not come to him? And then it was a case of Scott having to sort of win his daughter background. Yeah. Nothing like that. I think the best example, like a small example was Janet saying, 
admitting that she had an affair mm-hmm. in the quantum realm. Why was why was um, Hank Pym not like carrying that with him all the way through the movie, like a jealousy path? Because like he's not a character, like, is he? He's yeah. just it's just Michael Douglas on screen in a dumb costume, putting his yeah, hands could, into umbilical cords. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's mad. He could have had a he could have had a this. He could have been jealous all the way through it, and so much so that it conflicted like the big stakes that were in front of them. Mm-hmm. And he still could have been hung up on the affair, and it could have been a great conclusion. Of like, no, you've got to look at the bigger picture yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Sort of situation. Instead, it's just used as a quick joke, passed off, nothing more. So, like, just beyond Ant Man one, and then Ant Man and the Wasp. Like, mm-hmm. the only thing to gain from like this film, or the only thing that really changes, is just what the introduction of Kang. Like those core characters, like. Ant Man and the Pims and stuff like that. Like nothing changes nothing or changes develops them. them nothing really. changes at all. They get they come back out at the end. I mean, even though at the end it's teased, and I've I heard on a podcast I think they said at some point they were going to go for this that Ant Man and the Wasp were going to be left in the quantum realm. Um, that makes sense, but also I understand like they've done that kind of one too many times now, so like it made sense not to do that, mm-hmm. I guess. But they all come out of the quantum realm. Kang is essentially dead, is what they're saying <laughs> at the end, right? And it's all like back to normal and they're just like nothing to, no one's grown no one's got a new relationship or like bonded even more mm-hmm. the wasp might as well not be in the film she has about five lines in it and she does changes in no way at all like yeah. it's insane to me that film is called ant-man and the wasp yeah, well. yeah. And I, I always thought it, it was weird surely it should be ant-man quantumania because ant-man the and the wasp bit was the subtitle for the second one right yeah. and but <laughs> But you know that's a you know a wider kind of discussion. But um, everything that you've said is is what I think contributes to me feeling like it's so it's largely pointless. Um, I also think that on on just uh, let's accept it as what it is. I don't think it's anywhere near weird enough. Like genuinely weird. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's that kind of veneer of weird where it's like if, mm-hmm. if we just look at what Star Wars did like 40, 50 years ago or whatever it's been now and just do that kind of weird Moss Eisley thing where we have lots of different things. We've got a man whose head's made of broccoli. We've got a man who's made of goo. And you know what? Occasionally those jokes genuinely land and I had a good chuckle. Yeah. It's not the worst film that Marvel have made in no. my opinion. Um, but it's, it's for, a, for a character whose kind of main ability is the ability to kind of like shrink down and grow and do interesting things with that a they've put him in the quantum verse which means that like i don't really understand how the shrinking and growing is supposed to work at the quantum level but also it's like that's largely forgotten about and the actual kind of final fight is very much just two dudes like hitting each other yeah which (laughs) it's not an ant-man film because like everything you think of an ant-man film is like this guy in our in a real world Mm -hmm. can shrink and also grow really big and that like create scenarios for him and he's always like there's a heist element and then you've got the team that he works mm-hmm. with they're just not in the film as well like they're a core part of the first film none of that happens it's just so happens to be they've plucked these characters from this and put them into this film mm-hmm. like you said the quantum realm has never felt um like even though it's obviously very small it's supposed to be very expansive it doesn't feel like it it just feels like they're on the volume the entire time yeah it also feels like it's kind of just another way of doing the multiverse. It's kind of like the oh, there's yeah. more like the quantum verse in Ant Man and the Wasp does not look like this quantum verse. No, like that one very much looks like they are between molecules, and it's that's, this weird. That's what I was uh, picturing. It's like obviously I, I haven't haven't even watched a trailer this, for this film, so I can imagine it's you know based on where they're where it's set. It's like tons of visual effects all throughout, just based on the setting itself. But does the film at least look 
it's just good. a miniature futuristic city. Yeah. It's like it could right. be any alien city, really, that they're, they're in. And also, I I had a real problem, and maybe I can't quantify it uh, properly, <laughs> but the um, this idea that it was strange to them, but not strange enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they took it very easily. And it's not like, in Star Wars, everything's strange to the audience, but not to the characters, yeah. mm-hmm. because they live in that world, right? I either wanted that, or I want them to be freaked out with everything going on and they were just always like oh that's weird cool carry on like they're never mm. they're never bothered by being there mm-hmm. at all yeah. it, it definitely uh, it felt like and also the star wars thing they couldn't have been more on the nose for wanting to rip off Star Wars. like the, they literally is a cantina mm-hmm. scene when they walk in it's just like a cantina it's like <laughs> so on the nose it's, and particularly like the way that like so many people are dressed up as like desert wanderers as well. Like there's yeah. there's half mm. of it which is set in something that very Star Wars, but also very Guardians of the Galaxy to the point that like the guns of some of the characters in it look very much like Star Lord's like double barreled elemental guns. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but they're from two completely different universes. Like I don't really quite understand how that works. But also then just desert stuff. So it's Star Star yeah. Wars all over the place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my ultimate conclusion from this is is there's a lot of chatter. And I think even like I on previous podcasts have fallen into the when is the MCU actually going to start doing the MCU again? When is it going to build up? And I've had a I've spent a long time like going back and like studying my feelings of the original like Infinity saga. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I've realized that that did so well is Thanos basically isn't in it. Yeah. Thanos is a post-credits tease at the end of Avenger that suggested that everything that you'd just seen was being orchestrated by a much mm. bigger force. And then through the next phase, you had the occasional post-credits tease that was like, oh, this big weird dude that's got a wrinkly chin has stolen a glove. Well, what's that to do with? And then you kind of got the idea of, okay, there's these yeah. infinity stones. And then what you do is at the end of phase three, or four was it? No, phase three, right? You had this massive overarching crossover double film which mm. obviously is is bought from the idea of crossover comics but basically thanos isn't a villain really until yeah. infinity war right yeah and yes he uh, has he's in guardians of the galaxy but he's not a villain is he he's just, just there yeah, as a kind of yeah. like a background figure as this is the you, this is your yeah. introduction to the cosmic side of marvel yeah. and thanos yeah. is part of that but he's does not really just, does it just fall flat knowing that he is he obviously gets defeated at the end of the film Obviously, he was meant to be like he's killed, and now, like, how can they bring that threat back in a like conceivable way? There's a part of well, sort of yes and no because like Kang proliferates through the multiverse, so there's millions of him. There's uncountable yeah. versions of Kang. But my thing is, is I I, just, I don't think that Kang needs setting up. It's like no. he's gonna have two films. Thanos didn't like nobody knew what Thanos's deal was until like we knew that he was getting the Infinity Stones, and people that read the comics were like, "Oh, you want to keep an eye on this because he is big, and that Infinity Gauntlet yeah. is good stuff." But as audiences of the MCU, we didn't really know what was going on until Infinity War lands. And it lands with such a bang and such an ending that it makes the next film absolutely unmissable. Nothing about this weird, like, half-hearted way of building up Kang and the multiverse Mm. saga is landing. And I ultimately don't think we needed it. Like, you just needed the two Kang films at the end to, to bring him in. And what all of these films should be is good individual films that are about characters and about building reasons why you should care about these characters so when they're put in mortal peril at the end in a big crossover film you care that they might Mm. die yeah i agree completely 
like the the um the only thing like we joked about it earlier but the only thing i did really like in this film was modoc yeah, and i yeah. think i think it was um, a clever implementation of modoc yeah. like mm-hmm. how how do we get this stupid character from the comic books <laughs> into this film and also like so jesse you don't know but it's the uh, the main uh, bad guy cross from the first ant-man film he kind right. of like gets shrunk into oblivion of what you're supposed to be think is oblivion at that yeah, time. Yeah. But the idea is like he's been shrunk down, but his face like came in a weird size. <laughs> so he's got like a little dangling body and he's at one point you see his naked ass, like a little dangling <laughs> body on this giant head. Yeah. And I think and also he's he's already got a connection to these characters. Mm-hmm. Like he was in Cassie's bedroom when she was six years old, yeah, yeah. fighting with the Thomas the tank engine and stuff. <laughs> like I think it was a really clever way of getting Modoc in. Yeah, and yeah. they do a character redemption story in a very sort of funny way which is uh, she just Cassie calls him out for being a dick and he realises that he's being a dick and decides to stop being a dick <laughs> they literally use that word dick all the way through it um, and it was fun it was a fun thing and it was a fun way of getting a famous but silly character mm-hmm. into Marvel film it's, uh, but is, is that like almost like the end of Moda like he was just there for a laugh I, I, I think so yeah. yeah and it's one of those things like you Modoc, you can't do seriously, right? Like, there's no way yeah. that that comic book character yeah. works in the MCU. And I do, whilst the CG is obviously as weird and dodgy as the CG seems to currently be in the most recent Marvel films, probably almost certainly because of crunch and stuff like that. Yeah. But it is a good joke to have his helmet slide back, and it is just Cross's face stretched yeah. as if like someone's <laughs> just put it in paint and stretched yeah. it across this massive head <laughs> i think it's genuinely a good joke and i think the fact that kind of i love that as he's dying he's just like i died an avenger yeah <laughs> oh, that bit is so funny it's genuinely good and that character has an arc throughout this film yeah. like it's it's also in real world he wouldn't know what the avengers were they did yeah, not yeah. exist at that point <laughs> but yeah like jesse he says um yeah at least i got to die an avenger and they all look around <laughs> each other like okay sure yeah it's cute actually <laughs> Uh, would, yeah. would you say this is at least worth a watch when it goes on like Disney Plus? Because sure. I just realized like the only ones I've missed is I think uh, Black Panther and Eternals and also Black Widow. But I've heard all three of those aren't particularly fantastic. Hundred percent, you can skip Black Widow mm-hmm. if mm. you don't want to watch it. It's all right, like if you yeah. don't want to watch it. Uh, Black Panther, I don't know. I'm still undecided on mm. um, Eternals. Yeah, definitely skip. So I uh, but rank there, there is this... going to be stuff. I rank this under Wakanda Forever. Like I liked Wakanda Forever more. I don't. I think Wakanda Forever at least has something it's trying to say. Um, I would say this is better than Black Widow. Yeah. Okay. It's also better than Love and Thunder, but I hate Love and Thunder. I really yeah. hate Love and Thunder. So yeah, that, wasn't, that wasn't a great film. Um, what was the one thing I? Something else. Oh, the Kang situation. I did think there was a like. I really try not to be a person who like picks up on little plot holes mm-hmm. and things because I just think it's like taking the fun out of cinema. Yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes you've got to spend this beef. But also I did, he very much kept the Ant-Man family alive for their technology, for the pin particle technology. And I find it hard to believe that a man from like the year 3000 or whatever, it's 3000 years in the future, who has all this incredible technology, wouldn't be able to create a pin particle yeah, of yeah. some kind. Mm-hmm. And I just find that whole conceit of like, why would he even keep these guys alive? Because he, he says he's killed Avengers like countless times that he can't remember. I don't even know why he'd consider it. And he only is only considering it for the use of the pin particle to get to shrink this thing down. And it, I just never bought it. Yeah, as a it, reason. It, it, it's, you know, it, it's that bit of almost giving to an extent plot armor to the pin particles mm. to make it sense yeah. of the idea of like, these are 
like Hank is so incredibly brainy that no one in even other multiverses could possibly have come up with the Pym particle, which does suggest that there are no other versions of Ant-Man and Hank yeah. Pym in the multiverse. But as you say, like all of that, I largely forgive because Marvel logic is always shaky to begin with and you just yeah. have to enjoy the colour, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so that I can forgive it, but it's just what I can't forgive is that they're not, there's no characters in this film in the way that, yeah. like, ultimately, when you look at the comics, all of these characters are archetypes. They have to be. Like, they're written over comics that are 20 pages long, you know. And and so there's a lot of that kind of archetypal fitting into stereotypes of what these heroes should be. But at least they do things with them and they get to grow and, like, you know, maybe not a huge amount of growth because ultimately they've got to be the same character because yeah. that's the character that people like. But there's an emphasis of finding their way through... This just felt like situations happening to people Absolutely. for the sake of spectacle on screen. Mm. When when they first like get sucked into the quantum world right at the start, I could not believe that we were already there. Yeah. Because I felt like we needed to... Like, they literally sitting around the dinner table and said, you've invented something, haven't you? Yeah, let's go and have a look. They turn it on, boom, mm. they're in. Yeah. And I'd be like, I felt like... Janet was doing a job of selling the threat of the quantum realm, right? And how it's never something she never wants to talk about. And then so to just be put there and not like through circle, I, like why could it have not been Cassie decides to go down there and they all think they have to go down there to save her or something yeah. mm-hmm. instead. Like there was no like active decision there. And um, also very convenient that they all had their suits with them as mm-hmm. well when they yeah. went down. <laughs> the, other, the other thing about uh, Janet is, is like her whole thing of like, we, what are you doing? You can't go down to the quantum realm. The post credits yeah, yeah, yeah. of Ant Man and the Wasp is is like the Ant Man family on the roof of a building, like with the fucking subatomic machine in the back of a yeah. truck, sending them down. Well, yeah. Why why weren't they <laughs> complaining and, and and saying don't go yeah, yeah. at that point? Like, I mean, and the, also if we're really nitpicking the whole how time works down there is fucking bizarre. <laughs> like Avengers, the whole point of the quantum realm is you can time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for when Janet goes down there, she's down there 30 years in real world, 30 years in quantum realm world time. And then like, Kang is just like, lives forever and he can travel. It's like, what is the rules of time down here? I don't know. But yeah, nitpicking mm-hmm. really. Like, But yeah. Anyway. Sounds largely missable and not entirely I, I, worth it. I think Kang's stuff is, like if you want to see more of Kang and get to used to him and get to know him, I yeah. think he has some great scenes and some, and some mm. like really great performances. Um, but yeah, the... The post-credit scene's probably worth paying attention to so you get a sense of what he's about. Um, yeah, because I, did I didn't like- know much of Kang or anything really until, well, Matt really started to bring it up, like, just before he was actually introduced. Yeah. In this film, I don't know, like, where he lies in terms of being a bigger threat compared to Thanos and stuff like it's that. It's a different so. kind of threat, right? And it's, yeah. Uh, but, it's, um, but they do introduce him in, and the concept of him in Loki, but this def- film definitely felt like, we know a lot of you didn't watch Loki. Here's another catch-up mm. for this guy, yeah. you know? Uh, which is a shame because also the one of the post credits teaser that is for Loki season two as well, um, showing him in like the 1900s and stuff. So yeah, yeah he gets about okay. And yeah, like Matt said, one of the post credit scenes is um, like a coliseum full of Kangs. Like right, all, all forgot, different I, types. I honestly forgot he was in Loki. To be fair, now that I'm just remembering actually watching yeah. through that show. Well, they never called him Kang in that. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, interesting to see where they go next with Kang. But I could happily never have another Ant-Man film 
ever unless they unless they went back to like i loved i really like the first two like mm. Matt, I've, i remember you not maybe not liking I, I, the second I one i don't like ant-man and the wasp i think yeah. it's i think it's really boring but like i think ant-man like is it, it's definitely got it's like it's struggling in phase two because it doesn't really know if it should be a solo film or a crossover film right. um but when it is just being it's normal when it's when it's not got the falcon flying around in it and whatever yeah. like its main stuff is this good fun like heist mm. nonsense. Yeah, heist stuff. Make like a heist comedy movie. That's that's what I want Ant-Man to be in the real world where he's a man who can shrink down and he can be standing next to a pencil and the pencil's giant. <laughs> so there's no scenarios like that in this film. There's nothing like that. That sounds it, Except odd. for there's one scene where they both him and Cassie are giant. But they don't feel giant. They just look yeah. normal. Because it's, it's not weird. like the, you know, like the Pez dispenser scene or, or, yeah. or anything mm. like that. The like, frame it, of reference isn't yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, well. Yeah, just like, bring on Blade. Oh, this is an hour, 40 minute podcast. Wow. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah. We've been talking for a while. All right. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Mm, Hope you, you enjoyed Atman more than we did. And if you did, feel free to send in feedback, but don't. Make sure you put spoilers in the headline if you're going to write spoilers because a lot of our team haven't seen it and they read the email. But yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you you very much. Catch you later, everyone. Bye. Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not going to do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was going to get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.